Hey guys, if you love listening to our podcast, then you're going to love the pictures at wrestlersorwarriors.com. Tony Rotundo is a great friend of ours and his photos are fantastic. Go see him for yourself at wrestlersorwarriors.com. That's wrestlersorwarriors.com. Whoa, we are back for another episode of Home Mat Advantage. I am Sam Herring, joined today by a special guest who will uh, probably be a lot more episodes. Mason, he, uh, we, we recently added him to the Home Mat Advantage team, and uh, so this, this is our first episode with him, and I'm really excited to have him aboard. Yeah, I, man. I, I, oh. Good, man. How are you? I'm doing I'm doing great, ready to get going with this episode. Yeah, yeah, you and me both excited to talk a little bit about Vegas and everything. Yeah. Uh so first I want to cover a little bit about you and, and uh your history in wrestling and then um how how we met you and uh got you got into home advantage. Um how did how did you start wrestling? Where where was that? Uh pretty much out of the womb to be honest with you. Um I was born into a wrestling family, you know, I'm from Western Pennsylvania. Right. Again, came from a wrestling family. My dad was one of my coaches from day one all the way through. Um, and, you know, he sat in my corner all through high school and my redshirt year in college, right? So uh, I was born into it. My brother's four years older than me. And uh, some of my first memories are running around with him and my dad at practice. So, uh, you know, all the old adages, like we had him at in our basement and that's where I learned to wrestle and everything. So, um, honestly, some of my first memories in life are wrestling centered. So just kind of from the jump. Um, so, so you started wrestling. Did you have much, much success off the bat? Um, off the bat, to be honest with you, I don't really remember. Um, you know, I was pretty fortunate with the way things played out for me the whole way through, um, you know, wrestling in kids, kids states and everything else. But Um, we were always really focused, we being, um, kind of our family, we were always really focused on just having fun with it, getting better. I mean, obviously you're competing to win when things are a lot more fun than when you win. Right. But, um, it was definitely just about doing it because you enjoyed it. And I think that's a big part of the reason that I still love the sport. Mm Mm-hmm. So, um, you ended up having a pretty successful high school career. You went to Lehigh, I believe. Uh-huh. Uh, all American there, and then um, you went and coached it, um, George Mason. Yep. How how, how long okay. were you? First? So I graduated from Lehigh um, summer actually of sixteen is when I finished up grad school. Got out of finished grad school, went and I was living and working in the Pittsburgh area for two years after that, um, coaching at the Quest School of Wrestling, which is the same club I grew up in. Um, working, you know, mm-hmm. doing an office job and everything. And then I started, I coached at Mason from June of 18 until August of this year. So I was there for just a little over a year. So one season and a little bit of, um, you know, a little bit more of the second summer. Um, it was good. It was a lot of fun. It was something that I'm really glad that I did. I got to meet and work with some really awesome people. Just you know, for a variety of reasons, um, wasn't what I wanted to do the rest of my life. And, you know, I had some things that I felt like were pulling me back towards Pittsburgh and back towards home. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, here we are. So, uh, do you plan on continuing coaching at Quest and, um, and, and work in Pittsburgh or do you have dreams of coaching college again, or, or is that kind of it for you? Uh, for the foreseeable future, definitely still coaching at Quest and working, you know, working in downtown Pittsburgh these days. So, you know, between doing that and um, coaching at Quest again, you know, that I'm as busy as can be. And I just, I really enjoy it. I'm close to my family. I love what I do for a living. I love where I coach. Um, You know, you never want to say never because you don't know how life's going to play out. Um, If you get us, you know, who knows what opportunities could come up down the road. Right. So never Mm -hmm. say never, but um Right here, right now, I don't see it changing. Okay. Um, well, well, that's great. And then, uh, so when you moved back to Pittsburgh, um, Tony Rotundo and Jude Swisher and I uh, saw that move, and, and we were thinking we wanted to keep you in the sport and, 
and involved a little bit more outside of Quest. Uh, so we reached out to you and saw if you wanted to um, to work for HMA. I mean, I say work, but more like write for, um, for us and, and come on the show. It's mm-hmm. not really a, uh, a full company, but yeah. at the same time, um, we, we wanted you to come help us out. And uh, so, so why do you think you why did you decide to uh, come over to HMA and and help us help us out over here? Uh, yeah. So when Tony originally reached out, um, you know, when I kind of publicly announced that I was leaving Mason to come home, um, Tony reached out right away, you know, just to say good luck and everything, and then asked if I wanted to stay in touch with the sport, if I ever wanted to do some writing. You know, I did a little bit of writing and some podcasting before I coached at the college level for PA power. Um, Tony reached out and asked if I'd be interested in, you know, doing something similar just on, you know, a more national scope to kind of have the freedom to write about whatever, right. Talk about whatever. Right. So I said, yeah, absolutely. You know, I'd seen what you guys were doing and, you know, was a big fan of the fact that you guys just started your own thing just cause you love doing it. Um, you know, honestly it reminded me a lot of myself. Anybody that knows me spent time around me knows, I've been a wrestling geek from the time I was a little kid. Um, so yeah, you know, Tony reached out and um, I was like, that sounds absolutely perfect. It's kind of like you said, it's just something that we can do. Not that all of us don't put a lot of time into it. Um, especially you and Jude, right. You know, it's something that we can do when we can, right. It's not something that's going to run our lives and just gives us an out, an outlet to provide perspective, you know, provide unique perspective on the sport. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of how that happened. Well, I'm, re- I'm really glad that uh, we have you working with you and uh, teaching us a lot and, and really helping put out some good content. Um, and with that, uh, I think we can move on and and talk a little bit about the CKLV, which a uh, little shout out to your article on Home at Advantage, HMAWrestling.com. Um, head over there and, and check out Mason's article recapping kind of what we learned um from the CKLV uh and we can we can kind of run over that a little bit and then just give some overall thoughts maybe run weight by weight uh recap the um CKLV that happened this past weekend yeah I mean I think going weight by weight you know makes the most sense and um might as well start with the little guys right yep um so at 125 there are a few st- Lines. um what 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 wrestler stood out to you the most um and uh, yeah so where did you just see potential who surprised you at 125 uh i mean as far as who surprised me it's got to be uh mike diagostino from from northwestern you know and i said it in the art in the article that i wrote for the site but it's just crazy you know, you come into the season and you knew that I think all of us knew that Seabass was pretty big for for 25. And then he could kind of do either one of 25 and 33, especially when we saw that mm-hmm. he was in the lineup at 33. Um, and then D'Agostino goes out and ends up third in Vegas. And all of a sudden there, I mean, as literally as I was sitting there watching and, you know, even though we lost to Mueller in the semis, sitting there watching his semis with Mueller who, I mean, you know, Jack's a national title contender at the very least, right? So, you know, he's a returning finalist. So, and just the way that D'Augustino competed with him as well as the way he performed everywhere else, all of a sudden I'm looking at this going like, they could have All-Americans of both of the first two weights because Seabass is good wherever he goes. It doesn't, Absolutely. You know, if you're good, you're good. Um, right. And then D'Augustino, it's just, I mean, taking, a, taking third in a tournament like Vegas, which is probably the best in-season tournament now. Um, with how yeah. Midland, Scuffle, and South Beach have kind of split split the Christmas season up. So um, that was the biggest storyline to me. Absolutely. Uh, and I, I'm completely with you on that. I was really surprised to see um, Northwestern be able to slide a guy in. I had never heard of D'Agostino uh, before this. Well, I mean, during the season, I mean. So I watched him compete against mm-hmm. UNI. was the first time I, I really watched him wrestle. And uh, he looked really, really good against Jay Schwarm, and um, and then I was like, man, I could could um, Northwestern have two All-Americans at the first two weights? And uh, I, no, I, th- I think Seabass might move down just for the purpose of wrestling at Olympic team trials at 57, but, but I I don't think that'd be very good for their team or Diagostino. But you never know; they could they could bump him down, and maybe Diagostino would be able to bump up, and they just flip. 
but we'll see. Right, and there's and there's so many unknowns there. Um, and to be honest with you, my guess would be right now that there really there isn't a a set in stone plan. You know, Seabass wrestled over the weekend internationally, um, so it'll be interesting to see how. And none of us will know this externally, but I'm sure a lot of the decision is going to be based on how his body reacts and how he feels coming down to 57 kilos and then going back up to 33 if he's all right handling that. I mean, you know, you're seeing those questions already with Seth Gross, right? Like, how does the right. 57 for Farrell affect how we competed, say, in the Iowa duel? Um, and there's no way to know. Not, at least not for the rest of us, mm-hmm. right? You know, mm-hmm. Gross, Gross and Bono know, and Storniolo and, and Seabass and those guys will know. But um, I'm sure that'll be a big part of it. But he definitely looks big enough for 33. Um, you know, and yes. if, it were the, if it were the old rule set, this would be such a different conversation because then it's a no-brainer. You'd actually want him to stay at 33 and be as big as possible on a night before weigh-in. But internationally, you have to do mm-hmm. a one-hour. Um so it's a huge rankle for guys like Seabass or and Gross, both of them who were probably both completely legit 33s that are good enough to make the Olympic team. So what do you do, right? Oh, although Seabass is um, – who's he wrestling for, Puerto Rico? Yes, Puerto Rico. Yeah, so Seabass, I, I mean, yeah. you know, Seabass will be the guy, so um, – which actually I think helps him. Because Gross has to go through such a barn burner of a bracket and a situation to make the team, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and see, C- and Seabass won't have that, so maybe that helps. I don't know. Well, well, I just thought about that. All he has to do is qualify. So he's already made the Olympic team this past weekend, I believe. Um, right. So he's uh, qualified a spot. Or two weekends ago, I guess. Uh, yeah. So the only thing he has to do is qualify the weight at Pan Ams. So he won't even have to make the cut until when, when is that June? Yeah, he won't have to make the cut till midsummer, so he probably will stay up because again, at least in my mind, I would want to stay big. I'd want to stay as big as possible as long as possible. Um, right. You know, again, it's a li- it's definitely different on a one hour, but you only got to do it twice. Um, well, isn't that two hour for freestyle? One hour for college. Okay. Yeah, I guess I. I Regardless. Um, yeah. It's I, I, I use yeah. Same day. It's, I use it's short hour. notice. Yeah, I mean, I use one hour to describe any same day weigh-in, which is yeah. Kind of on me, but. But yeah, it'll be interesting. For twenty-five, it's similar though, because the twenty-five normally starts the duel or thirty-three, so you don't get near mm-hmm. as much time. But um, regardless. Uh, I, I I think he's going to do really well um, this this season. That just makes 133 so much deeper than we maybe gave it credit before the season. Um, I mean, it was kind of just like gross and only gross. And now we got DeSanto beat gross. We got uh, Seabass moved up, and, and that weight is really getting deeper and deeper. And then um, what, what's, what's the guy's name from Utah Valley that pulled his red shirt? Taylor Lamont. Pulling yeah. the Olympic red shirt made it a lot deeper, too. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, 33 is kind of one of those. I mean, I feel like every weight in college wrestling, right? Like, they're going to be deep. There's going to be things. There are going to be guys right. that have seasons that aren't quite what we expected, and then there's going to be somebody that comes out of the woodwork. I mean, you know, to kind of make the transition up at, in Vegas, like you got a guy like Ridge Lovett who, I mean, made more Fargo finals than, you know, most teams in his career. Um, You know, you got a guy like Lovett that takes third in Vegas. And again, all of a sudden it's like, especially with the performance that Nebraska had as a team. I mean, Lovett's a huge piece of that. You know, Lovett takes third. So if you add Seabass and a guy like Lovett in there, you know, the two finalists out in Vegas with Tucker winning and Bridges taking second, Bridges is already an all American. Right. You add gross, you add Seabass just because you took, Meech and Fix and Suriano out, which like obviously is a huge deal, but um, just right. because you took those guys out doesn't mean you don't have an elite tier. And I doubt this, but Suriano still could uh, pull the red shirt and come back to school, which would be would, that would be crazy. It'd make the weight so deep if Suriano pulled the red shirt. 
Yeah, and it's always an interesting thing in these Olympic years, too, because, I mean, let's be honest, there is a certain element to, like, if there's a certain guy, use use 41 as the example. You know, Ironman has beaten literally everybody in the weight, and he has beaten Yanni, but Yanni's beaten him the last however many times, right? So if you're Ironman, and now he's transferred, and there's a whole different element to that one. But if you remove all of that, there's always the perspective of, like, I am so clearly the guy if I come out and wrestle for the second half of the year, is it worth doing, especially for a guy that hasn't won a title yet? Or mm-hmm. if it's if, if your program is in a position to win a title or win a trophy when they haven't done that, you know, in this era or in a while or ever, um, you know, I, th- I'm, you know, I think that was a big part of why Kyle Snyder chose to, to pull his Olympic in, in 2016. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's a lot of moving parts to it. I don't foresee Suriano coming out, but like you said, it's a wild card. Anything can happen. Right. Yeah. Um, and then Ironman might pull his, because um, Iowa needs needs a pretty bad. What is he, a, a junior this year? Redshirting junior. So next year, come uh, back if, if he, he doesn't. Yeah, so he's got he's got one year left. So whether that's – so if he pulls his redshirt, this would be year four. Um, cause he's a three-time uh, All-American. Yeah. So Ironman, now that he's at Iowa, um, I would be floored if he came out just because they're going to wait for Lugo to move on. And I would think he backfills after Lugo at 49. I mean, I think he can get big enough. I don't know, but I would think. That would work. Wow. Cause then you got Teasdale, DeSanto, Spencer, all to fill in 25, 33, 41, and then Ironman at 49. That would work really well. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, your first three are probably going to look, I would assume, Spencer, DeSanto, Murin at your first three, so, um, and then Ironman, so. Um, well, then, but, then Teasdale could also uh, come in and beat Murin or for sure. uh, any, any of those well, weights. And DeSanto's got a red shirt to use, too, so there's, again. Right. right. <clears throat> so does Spencer, which is crazy. Yeah, true. So... Anyway, what uh, so for 33 in Vegas? What what were your thoughts? What do you what do you think stood out? Um, well, Ridge Lovett was probably the the biggest storyline for Nebraska, um, and then Chaz Tucker's he's kind of been inconsistent throughout the season, but this season I think with 33 opening up with those three guys taking Olympic red shirts, um, I think he's kind of stepping up and being like, hey, I can I can be a high All American this year if not national champ um and i think he's really taken that into stride uh, the fact that he's just been dominating wherever he goes is is pretty impressive yeah and i think the question mark with Chaz has always been you know generating enough offense right i mean he's extremely right. he's so good positionally he's just really really good um and he has the offense to do it um he just Sometimes in big situations, hasn't generated the points that he needed to get it done, right? Um, and I think mm-hmm. it, it's almost it, – it's pretty similar to a Luke Fletcher situation, to be honest. Um, you know, as far as they can wrestle with anyone, you know, and always have. And Chaz just hasn't maybe pulled the trigger right when he needed to at times. So it looks like they've gotten him over that hump. Um, I mean, Chaz, again, is just really, really good. Um, right. Yeah, and I, I mean, I agree. I think <laughs> – I would be pretty surprised if he didn't up on the podium in March. But having said that, there's a lot of time between now and then. Right. And I, I definitely agree. And then uh, Montori looked tough. Montori's mm-hmm. kind of been the same for the last three years. Um, just lower All-American, solid solid dude, but never breaking through the top. Um, so I, don't, yeah. I didn't expect any different, and I saw the stuff I would expect from him. Right. And, you know, Montori is one of those guys when he's on, he's all the way on and it's just really, really good. Every so often he'll have a, he'll lose a match or have a weekend that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, mm-hmm. But when he's on, he's really, really good. His, his series last year with Austin Gomez was uh, so fun to watch. Just back and forth and back mm-hmm. and forth. He wrestled with him so much. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those kind of under the radar, right? you know, rivalries i guess if you want to call it that but they wrestled you know multiple times just with the way their schedules worked out and um 
Gomez obviously is as wide open as it gets. Bridges is going to attack him, and they just got into some really fun ones. Absolutely, yeah. That that was that was uh so entertaining last year. I I hope Austin Gomez can can come back this year. Um, I I doubt he will. I think he'll probably use this as a medical year, but I'm hoping he does. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's for. I mean, it's for us, right? It's impossible to tell, but I would guess a medical. Right. Um. Well, moving on to 41 for the CKLV. Uh, the the biggest storyline there was Pletcher's dominance and and offense was so much wider and, and bigger than it normally is. Um, he's normally like like you said earlier. You mentioned he's in there with everybody, but that's because he just wrestles it so tight and he'll beat um, people 1-0 and 2-1 and stuff like that. And and so um, it's it's just interesting to see him bumping up a weight. And now he's got this vast offense, and and he doesn't stop moving, and now he's becoming more dominant and the number one clear guy in the country. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he looked he looked awesome. There's just no other way to put it. And I mean, Luke's been elite since he was a little kid. Um, mm-hmm. you know, he's been a guy yeah. that's had success at a high level at. Every he came level out of Pittsburgh, at. didn't he? Uh, yeah, a little bit east of Pittsburgh with Trobe. Um, but yeah, he's yeah. a Whitfield kid, which is. Whitfield's a district that surrounds the Pittsburgh area. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, Luke's yeah. a Whitfield kid. I mean, wrestled in st- four state finals in high school, won three of them. So, he, uh, again, he's been extremely successful his whole life. And he's always had the offense, man. It's, um, you know, it's just been a matter of him, you know, how often he pulls the trigger. And it's hard to knock a guy that has gone, I think, round of 12, fourth, fourth. Um, without a red shirt, mm-hmm. so he's had an unbelievable career, you know, as it stands right now, and he's far and away the number one guy right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's beaten McKee and Demas. Um, him and Demas is going to be super interesting moving forward, just because they're both style problems for each other. So right. point, points are going to be super hard to come by there. But um, yeah, I mean, Luke going wide open like he has. I mean, what he did to Cole Madden in the quarters was ridiculous. Um, you put up 26 points on a kid as good as Cole Madden. Um, and it's, yeah, if it's you, you told just me ridiculous. It, if you told me that Luke Pletcher scored 26 points on Cole Madden last year, I would not have believed you at all. No. I mean, you could have said that Pletcher scored 26 points in a full, in a full event, in a full tournament, and it would have made more sense than 26 points in a match against, let alone against Cole Madden. So, um, right. it's exciting to see because, and you got to believe, I mean, it, the sport, you know, competing is just more fun when you go wide open like that. And it definitely it seems is, like he's, yeah. he's having fun with it. Um, as much of a cliche as that is, it seems like he's having fun with it. And I mean, selfishly from a fan's perspective, it's so much fun to watch. Um, you it know, really so is. he's had a pretty special career and, you know, a month, a little over a month into his last year in college, it, he's certainly the guy. Absolutely. And you know what fascinates me, the matchup of this weight is Nick Lee versus Luke Pletcher. And last year I would have said this this match would be boring. It'd just be a match of Luke Pletcher trying to slow down Nick Lee and mm-hmm. maybe a, maybe a three-to-two match. But this year I could see just pace going crazy, 12 points, just a full-on dogfight um and i i can't wait for that matchup what is it uh what will that be at ohio state this year are they dueling uh i mean they'll definitely wrestle to be honest with you i don't trying to think of where it'll i'll be. look I, it up real quick I'm, yeah i'm not 100 percent sure where it'll be at but that match is going to be super interesting and part of it for me is i mean luke can generate offense with the best of them he's obviously shown that but he's so good when you attack him and Lee's going to attack him. Um, and where that's going to get more interesting is if Luke gets a lead early. And not that he's going to shut it down, but he's going to force Lee. He's going to force Lee to take more attacks. And, you know, when, I mean, just when you're losing, you can't be as selective with when, when, why, how, where you pull the trigger. 
So it's going to be really mm-hmm. interesting if, if, if Luke can get a lead early in that match. I mean, by no means am I saying that he blows it open. It wouldn't surprise me if he blew it open. It also wouldn't surprise me if no matter who gets a lead, we end up in a, you know, 13-11 match just with the way those two can score. Right. Um, so I looked it up. It's February 15th at the BJC uh, Penn State. So that that'll be fun. Yeah, um, I I don't know how much that might help Nick Lee. I I don't know if that's anything um, to keep in mind, but the the, the fact that it's BJC too kind of takes away from the intimate, loud, suffocating rec hall too. Um, but we'll see. For sure. I mean, you know, oftentimes those more venues like a rec hall. Or, you know, like for us at Lehigh Grace Hall, when you get a venue that's just right on top of you when you're the away team, those are the places that get to be hard to wrestle. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I wasn't in the lineup the year that we wrestled at Carver. It was my redshirt year. But, like, when we wrestled at Carver, you know, talking to my teammates wrestled out there, you know, they all said they're like, it's not that bad because everything's so separated. Like, it gets loud. But they're like, you're kind of separated from – you know, you can still kind of do your own thing. Like Rec Hall, for me personally, Rec Hall was the only opposing arena that I ever kind of looked around. And, I, you know, it's not like it, it didn't rattle me right away. It got to me by the time the match was over, to be honest with you. But that was the only arena that ever got through to me. Everywhere else that we competed, and we, we were pretty lucky to, you know, and I wrestled in Carver in the national duels and everything else, like, and at NCAAs and all the stuff over the years. Nothing ever really got through to me the way that rec hall did both because the fans are just insane um in a good way you know the fans are insane and honestly part of it is you don't have any room um the student section is right in front of the visitor's bench so you're the space you have to walk from the area like behind where you can warm up which is just a hallway um to the mat is like four feet wide if that uh, it's not, it can't be, it can't be four feet wide. It's gotta be smaller than that. If I remember right. Um, so you're just like walking by Penn state students. So they're on your left, the crowd's on your right and neither one of them more than a couple feet away. So, um, it being in the Bryce Jordan center, I actually think, I don't want to say it helps Pletcher, but comp- as compared to rec hall, I think that yeah. it would be, it would be more of a thing for Lee if it was in rec hall. Yeah, I, 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 I get that completely. And, and when you say it's suffocating and tight, I think of Rec Hall, West Gym, and Grace Hall the, um, that I think of. Um, those yeah, those would, are I, suffocating. I would agree with that. Um, okay, so moving on to one, 149. Um, the storyline coming out of that is uh, Brayton Lee. And he's a guy that I've been really, really high on um, since the summer when he destroyed um, Sammy Sasso at the World Team Trials. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't it wasn't a normal destroyed. I believe it went three matches. But by the third one, Brayton was breaking Sammy, and it mm-hmm. was just all Brayton tech fall, I believe. Um, and then I was like, man, yep. this dude's got a gas tank. He can, he can really do well in college. Yeah, I mean, Brayton, again, is another guy. He's just had an awesome pedigree for a long time. You know, in high school, I remember the first time that I got to watch him in person. And a kid that hand fights that well, that, you know, at the time, a high school kid that hand fights that well, wrestles that hard. And, you know, I've never spoken to him, but you watch interviews and wrestling world's a small one. You start to talk to people Mm -hmm. that have, whether Mm -hmm. they've recruited him, they've been around him, whatever. Um, he's just an awesome kid that loves to, I mean, now, you know, he's just an awesome guy that loves to do it and works really, really hard and does everything right. So you kind of roll all those things together and add the fact that he's got a lot of natural ability and you got a pretty dangerous thing. Um, obviously the Minnesota staff speaks for itself, you know, I'm sure wrestling a guy like Luke Becker every day and the, you know, Dustin Schlater still around and they've got all kinds of people that are still around in addition to the athletes. So, and um, bizarre too. I bet that's, I bet that's fun. Yeah. Um, and Nazar gives you a different feel. Um, right. And, and again, he's just extremely good. So 
Brayton's in a great situation. Um, him winning a national title this year would in no way surprise me. I'm sure by the time March rolls around, he will be the guy that a lot of people pick. I think 49 might be the most wide open weight. Um, you know, we don't, you, you don't know what to expect out of O'Connor yet, just cause he's been, he's just now getting back this weekend. Um, you know, we all know how good Mahler is. Lee and, you know, Brayton and Sammy Sasso were relative unknowns as it compares. I mean, they're, they're both really, really good, but they're relative unknowns. Right. You don't, you don't know how they compare to O'Connor and Mahler specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Dagan, it was super unfortunate that he had to default out. You hope he's all right. Um, obviously you never want to see anybody get hurt. You know, right. Dagan, yeah. Dagan is the eight foot tall, 49 pounder. That is just like the biggest wild card in college wrestling. Um, I still, have you ever seen the picture last year? I think Iowa State's Twitter put it out. It was Dagan and Miklas after NCAAs. You know, Dagan was taller than Miklas. That doesn't surprise me, but at the same time, like you think about it, a 149 pounder being bigger than a, Taller than a 197 doesn't yeah, make much not, sense. No, and it's not like Willie was that short. Like, you're not dealing with a Duran Wynn kind of guy where, like, you're just a spark plug. <laughs> yeah. I remember seeing the, the picture and basically having the exact same thought process you did. I'm like, you know, this doesn't shock me, but to actually see it and understand what I'm looking at, this is absurd. <laughs> that's so. That's insane. Yeah, so I was bummed we didn't get to see Sasso Day again. That was going to be a fascinating match because, number one, were either of them going to shoot? Because shooting on either one of them is a nightmare scenario. Um, Would either of them shoot? What happens after they shoot? Because both are just going to create a scramble. Um, That was going to be one of the more fascinating matches in Vegas. Um, Again, obviously, you hope Dagan's okay, but it was just bummed you didn't get to see it. Another guy that's kind of under the radar that I thought would actually perform better uh, at the CKLV this weekend was Yaya Thomas. After the summer he had, I thought he was going to be really, really, really good. Um, well, and he, is, and he is really good, but he just didn't perform the way I thought he would this weekend. Yeah, I mean, yes and no, right? Um, you know, he loses in the quarters to Thompson in a barn burner and then ends up third. So, um, yeah. Yaya's performance, I actually, to be honest with you, until I went back through the brackets for like the third or fourth time, I didn't even realize, like I completely forgot that he took third because I kind of did the same thing you did, right? He loses in the quarters, and I'm like, man, I thought that's a match. Not that Thompson's not really good. I just thought that, I was like, I kind of thought Yaya would win that one, and I Mm -hmm. just lost sight of him, and then I looked at the brackets and was like, oh, I should have paid more attention. He took third Um, and beat a guy like Perry out in the process, so um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I... I mean, I'm still really high on Yaya. And this, again, this weight, it's the group they have in there now. It's so young. There are new faces, both some because of age, some because of weight changes. You know, I think Yaya right. and Periot, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yaya and Periot both are at a new weight this year. So um, you have this group high up. If you And then in, um, Boo who has been gone for a while is in there yeah i mean boo was hurt last year obviously with the shoulder um so you've got this mix of o'connor mauler lee sasso yaya Periot, and, and boo who like you can theoretically come up with a pecking order but there's no real discernible way to do it because they haven't right. all been and been in the same in the same bracket and competed against one another nearly enough so that way it's going to be super interesting and then Josh Maruka is in there with uh, Cole, Cole Martin. I'm, I'm looking at Flo's rankings. This weight is deep down to the bottom. That is that that weight's so wide open. Like I could, I could literally see Jarrett Deegan, the number eleven, taking third, and For, that wouldn't sure. surprise me. Yeah. No, I mean we could have another situation where you have like, like a Cody Brewer. You could have a 13 win, and everybody goes, yeah, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it wouldn't surprise me in the least. Um, but yeah, I mean, speaking of Yaya, 
he, uh, you know, you move up to 57 and another Northwestern guy. Yes. Did, did anybody in Vegas look better than Deacon? I'm, I'm not going to say anybody did. Not, and it wasn't even close. No, I mean, him and Pletcher would be the two. Yeah. Just based on who they went, you know, who they wrestled, right? But Deacon, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, I think that since the Nolf match, in the finals, Hayden's freshman year. I think that was as soundly as I've ever seen Hayden get beaten. Yes, I, I would I would agree. Uh, I, I haven't seen it anywhere. He wrestled the U.S. Open 2017, and what did he take third, I believe? And he still didn't yes. get beaten like that. Um, and, and the U.S. Open senior U.S. Open is crazy. And Ryan Deacon, he's kind of been a guy where. He's he proved it last year at CKLV that he was that good, and then lost it for until NCAA's it seemed like, and then he bounced right back. U.S. Open beat James Green, two-time, three-time world medalist, and um, and then made final X. Looked looked pretty good in the second match, mm-hmm. especially against Green, and uh, so we know he's he's that. And it's just it's crazy to see he's also really really big. Yeah, Deacon is one of those guys that I'm convinced he could wrestle 84 and fill out enough that he would look huge at 84. Because um, every, I mean, he's he's moved up to 57 height and he looks enormous. Um, but no, I mean, Deacon just looked really good. And the most impressive thing to me was the fact that in back-to-back matches against David Carr and then Hayden, you have two elite guys that are just completely different. Um, they present different challenges, and Deacon. I mean, shut both of them down. And if you want to expand it to the quarters with his match against Teamer, that was the most competitive match he wrestled all weekend in terms mm-hmm. of, I thought, you know, Teamer was the only one that during the match I went, okay, I think Deacon might get beat this match. Um, but you go three straight guys that present three completely different problems for you. Um, right. And he handled all of them beautifully. He made adjustments in the Teamer match that were super high level. Um, Carr, he just shut down. I mean, he kept forcing the front head and, you know, getting to reattacks, which if you're going to beat David Carr, I feel like is pretty much the only way to do it unless you can really control mm-hmm. the hand fight. Um, and then again, you know, against Hayden in the finals, it's hard to believe that somebody could hand fight, out hand fight Hayden, but he did it and he did it for seven minutes and um, he kept Hayden out of his hook. He kept Hayden out of the places he wanted to be. And maybe even more importantly, he did a great job on top. You know, you take a guy like Hydley down and you can chew up a minute of not just riding time, but just a minute of the match on top every time and you force him to take neutral, it changes the whole thing, changes the dynamic of the entire right. bout. For, for so many different reasons, too, because one is you're taking riding time. Another, like you said, you force him to take neutral. That's taking mm-hmm. a point away from him. And then also, not having to hand fight with Hayden Hydley for that time, because that is tiring to wrestle with a, with a guy like Hayden Hydley. For sure. I mean, just like from personal experience, when I, you know, anytime I competed against, like Chris Dardanes would be a good example. Somebody like that that you knew, and, uh, you know, Dardanes just the less you have to deal with the hand fight, the better. It's just part of right. what makes them elite. So if you get a chance to get on top, you got to attack him and you got to really do the work to spend time there um and deacon did that you know not that he's going to struggle in a hand fight but you're a thousand percent right the more you can take hayden out of wearing you down in a hand fight the better for sure yeah and i think he did a great job of that he credited a lot to andrew howe and just the time that that howe has spent with with him mentoring him and, and helping him grow as a wrestler. I thought that was pretty cool in his interview afterwards. Um, yeah. For I really sure. don't know how that dude makes weight. He looks so big. He looks enormous. But to your point about how that, you know, honestly, until, you know, until in our, in a conversation, obviously outside of this, until Tony brought it up to all of us, it completely escaped my mind that, you know, he had had that, you know, he's had the better part of a year with Hal and just learning to deal with the hand fight and having Hal as a workout partner every day. Um, I remember a teammate of mine that wrestled Hal 
They said that, you know, as soon as the match starts, when Howe collar ties you, your neck no longer belongs to you. Your heck, your neck belongs to Howe until the whistle blows, the match ends, and he gives it back. So, you know, for Deacon, you learn to deal with that hint, like, it's just because you're forced to, to survive every day. Um, right. It goes a really, really long way. Man, I... I was at Big Tens last year, and Andrew Howe would just walk by me, and I felt the ground shake. And it's just, he's he's a, a big, scary dude. He's like, anytime he steps on the mat, you got to fear for your neck. <laughs> um, for sure. He is he's such a strong hand fighter. And wrestling Dake, who's one of the best, heaviest hands, strongest dudes there is, and he basically muscled Dake when he wrestled him, which is just so scary. Yeah, it's crazy to think back on some of the weights that, like, him, Dake, Burroughs, and, I mean, Taylor. Taylor. I think, you know, they were all um, the Paulsons and everything. It's, it's crazy. But, so, moving on up. 65, yeah. what do you got? Um, so, just like your article, uh, Thomas Bullard was one of the biggest stories, but then... Um, I, I feel like Thomas Bullard proved himself, um, really, really well. And he, he surprised me at the Cornell duel, which, um, mm-hmm. I, I got to, I got to be there and watch that duel. Uh, and he, I thought Womack was going to win, but I knew it was going to be a really tight one. And he kind of shut down Womack in every situation, every position and, Basically dominant. Now the score didn't necessarily reflect that as much as it, but he took every position from Womack, and and he was dominating it all. And so he he, he really proved to me there that he was he was on a rise this year. It's so weird. Hat pop can do that. Just different years. Like so, one year Tariq Wilson totally showed up and and surprised everybody. Mm-hmm. And this year I feel like he's bringing Thomas Bullard. Um. And he's surprising everybody. Um, so I feel like um, he has that ability, and it's really cool to watch what Pat Pop can do um, in that regard. For sure. Um, yeah, I mean, anytime you got a guy that's that good on top, like if Bullard gets a chance, you know, really gets a chance to, like, gets a boot in and gets a guy flat, it's a problem. I mean, you saw if you watch his match for third with Ethan Smith, like, he took a guy that could easily be on the podium, put a boot in, flattened him out, mm-hmm. buried a half, and pinned him. Um, and it was pretty much that cut and dry. So anytime you get a guy that's that good on top, you always have a puncher's chance. Um, he's come a long way on his feet. He does a much better job of generating offense now, and he's always got the scrambling ability. And again, like if you get taken down by Bullard, it's worth more than just two because now you got to find a way to get off bottom. If nothing else, you got to find a way to survive. Um, right. Do you take bottom? That's a huge question. Do you give up riding time? There's so many other things. So, um, yeah, Bullard is kind of a wild card. And then, but like you said, he proved he can compete with the best of them. Bullard absolutely does belongs in the all American conversation. Um, and then above oh, him, yes. the two guys above him at the weight, as far as Vegas goes, um, Isaiah White and Shields. To be yeah. honest, they I mean, they both look really, really good. Neither one of them mm-hmm. showed me anything earth-shatteringly new. They're both just elite guys that wrestled a great match. Um, Isaiah, obviously, you know, always seems to find a way to win tight matches when he's not he wrestling does. Genzo. Yeah. Um, does a great job of that. Um, you know, those two, and I mean this in a good way, Things were kind of status quo. They're just elite guys that looked mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Uh, is uh, Maruka or Sh- Shields? I get those two mixed up. Um, he is from Pittsburgh, isn't he? So is Maruka. Or around that area. Yeah, Maruka and Shields were high school teammates. Maruka Shields, Kemmer. Was that at Was that at Franklin in uh, uh, Murrysville? Yep, Franklin Regional. So Maruka Shields, Kemmer, that is um, so great. Spencer, Devin Brown. With uh, Nolf was there too. So Nolf was a Catanic kid. Now they would all. Oh, uh, okay, okay. Yeah, they they wrestled on some teams and everything together. Um, but yeah, that Franklin team, and it was um, right. At, it Max was right Mirren at, was there. 
No, Muren was a um, Central Cambria kid. He was actually a small school kid. Oh, oh, um, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, him and Cole Matthews wrestled a state final that was probably the best 2-1 ride-out match you'll ever watch. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, Franklin had a great run right there. Um, and, you know, just before, literally just before them was Megalutus. Um, now, Megalutus' yeah. teams weren't very good. Um, I mean, certainly not state title good. I'm not saying they were bad, but they weren't state title mm-hmm. good. But then you had that group come come through, and I they won, I don't know how many. They won a couple, you know, two, three state titles um, as a team. And obviously, all of those guys were wrestling high, if not winning titles. So they had a good it's group. So impressive. It's so impressive for a public school like that to be the best in the nation because it's that it's it's Franklin Regional, Murraysville, Pe- Pennsylvania. Yep. Those those are the kids and and they make it to the best in the country versus like a a Blair who has kids from all over the country and you would expect them to be the best in the country but to have one little town be the best is a is really impressive in its own right for sure and even you know not that I have any issue with it but like even a place like St. Ed's that you know like they compete in Ohio's um, state association but like they're a Catholic school it's a private school right so you know Ed's doesn't have a school district they and they have their feeders. They have the Catholic school system and everything that those kids come up through. But um, mm-hmm. it's just a little bit of a different animal. Now, having said that, St. Ed's had that streak of Division One All-Americans that is longer than uh, – it's longer than like all but four or five actual Division One programs. So they're amazing in their own right. But it is just a little bit different, again, when you have – a public defined school district and they just make it happen like you said yeah that that is that is impressive um all right let's let's move up to 174 um mm-hmm. at this weight it was uh it was really interesting in the fact that i did not expect dylan lighty to come out of this one i'm really high on three guys in this and uh that is labriola valencia and steyer and mm-hmm. I, I was actually kind of low on Lighty. I mean, I feel like he's kind of been a guy who scores just enough to win, and he's he's kind of been like a no-offense kind of guy in the past. And um, this weekend, he, he surprised me a, a good bit, um, especially knocking off Labriola, a, a young kid who's really um, – everybody's been high on Labriola pretty much, especially after his Big Tens last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, or before Big Tens, he's kind of got surprised there. Um, but yeah, so it was really impressive to see Lighty come out on top of that weight, especially. Yeah, I mean Lighty looked really good. Um, you know, he's been one of those guys that has been sneaky good for a while. And I mean, it's 74 in the Big Ten with you had at least Hall and Amin, you know, for the last two three years. So you just fly under the radar, right? When you're not competing mm-hmm. with Mark. You're not competing nationally with, you know, Zahid before he moved up this year. You're not competing with Amin. Um, you get kind of get lost in the shuffle. I feel like Purdue is one of those programs that just, like, even when they have elite guys, they don't get talked about. But, um, right. yeah. you know, so, but no, Lighty's he's just really good. Um, and, you know, like you said, beating Labriola and Steyer back-to-back, um, big wins. And the other thing, with this weight too is you know Anthony Valencia is just this huge wild card he can beat anybody and he can also seemingly I don't want to say lose to anybody but you just never know what you're going to get with him right yeah absolutely that's that's the way I feel um about him like this summer when when he wrestled so well Nolf he wrestled a really tight match against Nolf and was beating Massa and and guys like that that I was like man I guess I guess he's on his way back wrestling 74 um, and I think he can do really well in this season. And then um, he started out really strong. And then I feel like after his match with Mark Hall, he's been falling off. Like, did, did he compete before the CKLV, like in between the Penn State and CKLV? Do you know? Off the top of my head, I don't. Um, okay. I can look it okay. up. But, um, but anyway, I feel like he's just fallen off a little bit since since that he re- he wrestled um fairly low uh, against Mark Hall like he started out really strong took him down and then it looked like he just faded uh conditioning wise 
and uh, I, I don't. He just, he just kind of surprised me there. Yeah, I mean, again, you know, you don't obviously, you never know what else is going on, but he's just, he's an enigma. Right. You just never know what to expect from him. He is as talented. <clears throat> he's as talented as anybody, but he is as unpredictable as anybody. So mm-hmm. he, you know, he could. Again, he could be the guy that doesn't have a great season, ends up as the 15 seed, and wrestles in the finals. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, but he d- brother, he did not have a competition in between the Penn State duel and CKLB. Uh, okay. I looked that up, and so he didn't have one. So, but tell you what, his brother um, Zahid just Zahid's just Zahid. Um, you know, I think I tweeted it out, but as much as he does get talked about, I don't think it's fully appreciated. Like, he's one of the best to ever do it in college wrestling, and it's just – it's awesome to watch it live in person to be able to see his career unfold. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a guy that so far has gone 3-1-1, obviously the semi with Hall – was just like such an iconic match for so many different reasons because of the headgear right. pull. Um, but I mean, yeah, you know, in Vegas, he, oh, he was close. I mean, I'm not going to say a headgear pull away to practically being a, a four-time NCAA champ, but um, I mean, that's that's about how tight the, the line was where he was probably better than Jordan and uh, and that headgear pull cost him the match against Hall, a guy he would beaten previously and beaten a lot afterwards, so... Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I do agree with you that he's been kind of not talked about enough for, for a three, one, one guy is, is yeah. and then a, another one shooting this year. Um, I, there's just, it's such a rarity to see that. And, uh, it's kind of like a Kyle Snyder career. Um, and Kyle Snyder gets talked about a lot and he's, he, in my opinion, he's been more dominant than Kyle Snyder's, um, college career. Yeah, I would I would absolutely agree with that. I mean, Zahid's freshman year was unquestionably, you know, yeah, yeah, I think unquestionably better than than Kyle's. You know, Kyle took losses during the year. Um, Zahid's only loss was the semis to Mark. You know, Kyle finished second, Zahid finished third, which, for all intents and purposes, are a push. Um, so yeah, I mean. He's again. It's just it's so much fun, and the way he wrestles is yeah. awesome. He just pulls the trigger a thousand times a match, um, you know. And what he did to Dupre and, and Trent Hydley back-to-back matches, both elite guys in their own right. Um, you know, Trent and and Dupre actually, both of them were two of the brightest young stars in college wrestling. Um, right. The dynamic, the dynamic that the Hydley brothers have going on is just awesome. It's a special thing, but. Zahid just continues to do Zahid things, and nothing else seems to matter. Yeah, um, it. I'm, I'm with you on that. That he's just been so dominant. And then the two guys that he beat are guys that everybody's really high on: Dupre and Hydley. Dupre mm-hmm. just knocked out, um, or Hydley just knocked out Dupre and Darmstadt. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dupre looked great last season. Um, I mean, you don't really know if. Anybody's going to be able to challenge the Heat. I mean, Taylor Venz did at the beginning of the season. And, you know, I talked about uh, with Jude on our last episode that I feel like Zahid Valencia can have those type of um, matches where, or seasons where a, a wake up match happens, uh, just like this year's Venz. Last year was Mark Hall, and then he got pinned by Daniel Lewis, and mm-hmm. then he came mm-hmm. to NCAAs. On- on fire like he was he was ready to go and i feel like valencia might be that kind of wrestler where he needs a bit of a wake-up call this season to uh to peak yeah i mean for sure you know and it's funny that you know we say that about a guy that's got three career losses right but um but yeah i agree i mean he looked as good as he's ever looked in vegas um you know and obviously be remiss if you don't you know you don't talk about trent um you know, Trent Hydley takes second, you know, obviously only losing to Zahid. You beat, soundly beats Taylor Lujan in the semis. Um, the other guy that was super impressive, you know, he lost to, he lost to uh, Lujan in the quarters, but was uh, Hunter Bolin for Virginia Tech, another young big guy as a redshirt freshman that finishes third um, with a win over Lujan for third. So, 
Um, that weight with Hidley, with Bolin, and with the prey, and Benz isn't. I mean, Benz is a junior, so Benz has time left, you know. But that it's not often you see 84 being a weight that is young up top, up top, and and uh, Darmstadt. Darmstadt's a, a sophomore, I believe. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, he's definitely got time left after this year. Yeah. So. So that that's incredible. Uh, how much? And then Aaron Brooks. Um, he didn't go to the CKLV, yeah. but he just pulled his red shirt at 84. And uh, so, man, that's that is a young weight that has so much firepower. And you look at the young guys there. You got Aaron Brooks, Trent Hidley, Lou Dupre are kind of the top guys that I can think of. And they're all they, so, so a, a normal problem that you see coming from high school to college for young guys is the strength. They don't match the strength. And mm-hmm. these are guys that are, are completely muscling the, the upperclassmen. And uh, it's just so crazy and impressive to see guys come out of high school and, and be dominant in the strength factor for college. Yeah, it's it's really impressive. Um, so 97 um, – not much to say with this weight other than the fact that Colin Moore just smashed everybody and yeah. looked as good as ever, looked as clear of a number one as you could possibly look. And mm-hmm. Thomas Lane is just really good on top. Yes. And, other, and I think those are really the two things. Well, one thing that I wanted to mention, though, was uh, Cordell Norfleet. Uh mm-hmm. He had a really good match. He wrestled really well, had a really tight match with uh, Colin Moore, 5-3, and then yep. he medical medical forfeited. I'm not – do you know what happened there? No, I don't. Um, again, that's another situation. It's like Dagan. You don't know, um, at least the way that I view it. You know, it's not really any of our business. So, like, you hope he's yeah. all right. I'm sure we'll find out. Um, you hope he's all right, and – you know, we definitely would have heard something by now if it was something super serious where it's like, oh, he's got to get surgery. He's going to be out for a substantial amount of time. Um, so, yeah, hopefully he's all right. It it just it sucks both for him, for fans, for Arizona State, for everybody that he had to yeah. default out. Um, so hopefully he's all right. I'm, I'm with you on that. And then uh, the weight went pretty much chalk um, I mean, for the most part. I mean, there were Thomas Lane. Uh, made it to the finals with uh, or, or to the semis, uh, ended up taking third um, mm-hmm. with just a, a solid top game. And you know what? I want to point this out. Um, he wrestled um, really well off of top. And then another top guy made it to the finals in Christian Bruner from AJ Shops. Who, um, True. So, so I'm just – Saying that um, second and third basically have made their money off of off of top, and uh, I just think that's a little different, especially for 184. You don't see that much. The big guys uh, using using that game. No, you don't see 90. You know, you don't see big guys 84s, 97s, heavyweights um, making their money on top like that. But with a guy like Lane, with a guy like Brunner. Um, it, it, it's it's interesting. It's fun to watch, you know, because it's different. We don't see it a lot. Right. Um, I'm obviously a Pennsylvania guy, so I uh, I enjoy mat wrestling. So, you know, mm-hmm. I have a personal liking for it. Um, the other guy that I did think looked good, you know, didn't necessarily, like, just blow you away. I mean, he beat Tanner Sloan. But Jake Woodley had a good weekend, um, kind of yes. quietly. Yes, he did. Um, but I, I thought Woodley looked really good, as good as he had, probably as good as he has. Um, at least in an Oklahoma singlet, you know, guy that mm-hmm. had a lot of promise coming out, still has a ton of promise, you know, so he's obviously making jumps and everything. So that was good to see. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm totally with you on that. And then at heavyweight, um, there's really one storyline came out. It went, it went basically chalk, yep. except, well, well even, including Mason Paris, but um, I, I still think that Mason Paris is, is so good and has such a large potential. Um, I mean, he um, just beat pretty bad Tanner Sloan, who 
wrestled a pretty tight match with Anthony Kassar a couple weeks ago. Um, so I believe Mason Harris, he is right there um, at the top at heavyweight. And then the fact that Gable Stevenson's kind of struggling to, to get back into the NCAA season makes me think um, he has a really good chance of, of being at the, the top with Anthony Kassar. And, and if not being my pick, um, for for that being the finals, I, I think that's clearly uh, that capability. For sure, I mean, I don't think anybody would question the fact that Mason Paris has the ceiling to win multiple titles. Um, you know, which at heavyweight is an incredible thing to say because it it just normally takes guys a little longer just because of the size and the physical maturity. Right. right. We've got an interesting group this year, man. Um, it's young at heavyweight. The upper weights are young which is just crazy. You know, you've got Kassar, who is on year six, I think. Um, but you've got Kassar, who's undoubtedly the guy. Like, there's just no mm-hmm. way around it. There, You know, we don't have Gable. Derek White's gone. Um, you know, so you've got Paris, and then you've got, you know, after Kassar, you've got Paris, you've got um, Cassiopeian, Hilger. So those three, um, obviously Hilger and Paris have wrestled, but – how does Cassiope fit into that mix? You know, he's already beaten Hilger, right. so Paris and Cassiope are going to get a chance to wrestle again. And I think it's been since Fargo when they were both in high school. Um, a mm-hmm. match with Cassiope, if I remember right, Cassiope he dominated. Yeah, he thumped them. He's if I you know. 10-0 tech, yeah. Right. I think he had two guts. So yeah. it was a little bit freestyle, but mostly folk style. Uh, so right. interesting right. there. So, yeah, I mean, and obviously we're a lifetime removed from that match, but, you know, where do they stand now? Um, Cassiope is a really big body, really good athlete. So how right. how, how does Kassar handle that as a guy that's not, uh, you know, a traditional quote-unquote full-sized heavyweight? Um, how does how does Kassar handle the size for a guy like, uh, for a guy like Cassiope? So it's going to be a super interesting dynamic um, <clears throat> as far as Vegas goes. Paris looked really good. Uh, Tanner Hall, who I'm pretty sure is 30 years old by this time. Um, you know, he's just yeah. been around forever. But Hall, you know, looked And he's got two extra years. So crazy. I know, man. But Hall, you know, Hall looked good. You know, his semi went over Orndorff, who has looked really good so far this year. Um, Hall looked good making the finals. Orndorff took third. And like you said, past that, it kind of went shocked. Um, you know, Dan and Gremmel took fourth. I thought that was actually a pretty good performance for Gremmel. Um, other than that, you know, that, that was really my takeaway at heavyweight and on a broader scope, Nebraska looked awesome. And the even crazier part about Nebraska as a unit was, it's not like they wrestled completely lights out. They wrestled really well, but they didn't, it wasn't a perfect scenario, right? Like Chad Red mm-hmm. can, can place higher. Vens can place higher. Um, Purinton can place higher at 49, right? 49? Yeah. You know, so I'm they, not they, sure. can, they can place higher at, I mean, a bunch of these weights. Yeah. Cause red's 41. Yeah. Right? So, you know, Purinton can absolutely like, he could have easily made the finals of that weight at 49, if not won the thing. So he loses a 10, nine, just bizarre quarter to uh to Dagan and then you know he he ends up eight just because the weight's that deep so Nebraska's right. legit um how they stack up with Penn State and Iowa because right now that's really the question for mm-hmm. everybody how they stack up with those two teams I don't know you know um I'm not real big on doing the math just because things never go to chalk especially in March yeah um but the you know the Big Ten dual meet season is gonna be a lot of fun and Nebraska is uh, they're real deal good, especially if a guy like Ridge Lovett can continue to compete at that level. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like it's down to behind Penn, Penn State and Iowa. It's like Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Nebraska. I feel like going for, for the trophies. Um, and and w- obviously with some exceptions, like Arizona State's looking great. Um, mm-hmm. and, and there are some teams on the outside there, but I feel like those are like the – Front five teams, I'll say. For sure. Um, you know, and then the other thing at, at Vegas team-wise was 
you know, with even without Andrew Ramirez, I thought Northern Colorado wrestled extremely well. You know, they mm-hmm. Na- uh, Troy Nickerson has done an awesome job. Is doing an awesome job. Him, Mike Moreno, uh, Garrett Kiley, they're doing an awesome job out there of building. I mean, building something out of what was nothing. With you know, you know, Ramirez didn't compete in Vegas. Moshe Schwartz looked awesome. Um, you know, they had multiple other guys go deep. They had another guy on the podium. You've got Alirez, you've got Theorius Robison that's redshirting this year. So yes. they, they got they got a lot of pieces. You know, Sandoval was ranked before he got hurt. So they got a lot of pieces, um, and they're just quietly humming along on their build. Um, but they definitely deserve, you know, they deserve a shout-out. It's it's cool. It's exciting. We need small programs to do well. Um, and it's Absolutely. just it's, it's fun to see. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I think that about finishes it up for this this episode of Home at Advantage. Thanks so much for for coming on, Mason, and uh, hopefully we'll have you on a lot more. Um, and this is just the beginning of it. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, thanks for having me on this show as well as just in general. Super excited to be part of the team and looking forward to doing more. All right, sounds good. All right, we'll talk to you later. Later, brother.